Amen. Amen. Uh, friends, today is the National Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And we may not know someone who is deliberately suffering, uh, imprisoned, beaten, or even martyred, uh, facing martyrdom for their faith. But that doesn't stop us from standing in fellowship and prayer uh, for the protection and the guidance and um, the faith for those that are suffering for their faith all around the globe. Uh, just recently, Pastor Steve and I had the opportunity to sit down with someone, uh, a representative of the church, the Christian church, the Protestant church in Algeria. And he described to me some of the persecutions that, that they are facing. Uh, there are, had been 49 uh, registered Protestant churches in the country of Algeria in northern Africa. Um, but now the government is taking action to shut down all of those churches. And in protest are taking to beating and imprisoning the pastors and the leaders there. And so while we hold all of the believers, sisters and brothers all around the world who are suffering for their faith in our prayers, and my, my request is that we think of them often and learn more about those that are suffering for their faith all around the globe, I'm wondering if today we could take time to specifically pray for the churches, for the believers in the country of Algeria. There are many people, and while we remember those that are suffering for their faith, simultaneously we also hold a, a, another prayer, which is the gratitude that we have for the freedom of expressing our own faith and living out our faith here in this place. And so would we stand together in both gratitude and the pouring out of our hearts for those um, that are, are suffering right now uh, for their faith. Will you join me in prayer? And if you know someone from a different country, a missionary, a believer in a different country, would you just bring them their name to the Lord in this moment? Or a country that's on your heart, a country that comes to your mind, would you just lift that country up to the Lord in this moment? Holy God, I pray that in this moment, if there are believers suffering for their faith, Lord, that they would feel and sense the loving arms of Jesus around them, specifically through the prayers, our hearts pouring out for these individuals. Lord, if all possible, protect them. But if they must suffer, as we learn and read from the history of our faith, those that have suffered for the faith, if they must suffer, Lord, surround them with your peace and the strength of your faith to be a living witness and testimony that while we live this temporary life on this planet, 
the true and fullest sense of life is offered in Jesus for eternity. Lord, let them know that we stand with them in this moment. And God, I specifically lift up my brother that I had breakfast with a few weeks ago, this church leader from Algeria, and I pray, Lord, that you'd give him strength. I pray that you give him wisdom and, and clarity about how to navigate these turbulent waters. And for all of the faith leaders of these 49 churches, Lord God, I pray, God, that you would empower them. Lord, that you would give them wisdom and insight as to how to navigate this new persecution. And I pray for that country. I pray for its government, Lord. I pray that hearts would soften towards you so that your light would shine in the darkness and that all those around, all around the world will hear the name of Jesus and receive the freedom and the liberty that comes in knowing you. Break down those dividing walls, those barriers from you, O oh God, because it is your heart's desire that all would be saved. It is your heart's desire that all would come to know you, to know your love, to know your grace. And Lord, while we go on our busy weeks thinking about our own lives, our own problems, our own issues, would you just give us a gentle reminder this week of those that are facing far more greater difficulties because they know you. And let us hold them in our prayers. Thank you for this time, God, where we can be the church. Thank you for this time, Lord, that we can worship you freely. Thank you for this time, Lord God, that, that we can search after you, to lift up praises, to learn from you, to glean from you, Lord, to be changed by you. Thank you for the full access of your Holy Spirit. So do a, do a work in us today, God. Let this Sunday not be business as usual. Do something new. Do something remarkable in us, we pray. All this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to see you here on this morning of worship. And uh, it's great to see so many of you so wide awake and getting that extra hour of sleep. I wish I could say that I enjoyed my extra hour of sleep, but kids don't seem to cooperate with this daylight savings times thing. I'm not bitter about it, really. <laughs> it's great to see all of you, all of you here. Um, as you can see in your program, just want to highlight something for you. Um, uh, at the end of this month, November 24th, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving's a little bit later this month, um, we're going to be having a baptism service. And actually, we're going to have a big sort of Thanksgiving service. We're going to lift up gratitude to God, and we're going to do that specifically through baptism. And so if you sense that God is working on your heart, that a change, a real transformation is taking place in your heart, in your life, and you'd like to declare that change and your surrender and commitment to God through baptism, we'd love to talk to you about that. There's a sign-up sheet out at the guest services desk along with a question and answer sheet that gives you information about um, why baptism, why we do baptism, what it means, and, and all of that. So just invite you to take, take that 
considerate. When you sign up, you're not signing up to be baptized necessarily. You're just signing up to talk to me about it. So um, if you sign your name and your information, I'll follow up with you and we can sit down and have a chat about that. So if you sense that God is doing something, I invite you to sign your name and, and fill, that, uh, fill that out. Last week, I introduced uh, our next two-part series that we're, uh, Pastor Steve and I are going to be sharing on called Exit Interviews, uh, specifically talking to uh, the people, some high-profile figures that have recently left the faith. And it's amazing, just giving that little advertisement brought about a lot of different questions. I had a lot of people approach me, what's this going to be about? Oh my goodness, this seems a little, you know, a little controversial or whatever. And I think um, because I got this, those questions, it really affirms um, the fact that, that we've decided to do this series. Uh, Pastor Steve and I sat down and we were thinking about this topic, topic because there have been a lot of different kinds of articles over the last couple of years, like this one from the Pew Research Center that says, in the U.S., the decline of Christianity continues at a rapid pace. And this is something that we've sensed, that we've felt, that we've um, that we, we've seen uh, around, around us, um, whether we didn't know about the numbers themselves, but something that we felt there's definitely something happening in our immediate landscape here. And uh, as we talked it through, we realized that not only do we know people that this describes, but um, we have talked to people that this describes here in our church, and that our, our guess is that there are people sitting in these pews that have asked similar questions that feel that they're on a similar sort of journey or struggle or wrestling in their faith that many that have left the faith uh, claim to have had. And so uh, we thought it was important to talk about it. I mean, you're probably talking about it anyways, right? You're thinking about it. You read it in the newspaper. You're thinking about it. You're talking about it. And so thought it would be important to talk about it uh, on this platform as well. So what I'd like to do is introduce you to four different people. The first person I'd love to introduce you to is a guy named Bart. Bart is the son of a famous evangelical author and preacher and speaker and pastor. And Bart uh, followed his father's footsteps and became a pastor himself, but over time became disillusioned with the faith and suddenly decided that he was going to not be a Christian. He was going to be a secular humanist. You can Google that later. Uh, and, th and that grew uh, to the point where he became the first secular humanist chaplain of a major university in the United States, Southern California University. So that's Bart. The next person I'd like to introduce you to is a guy named Robert. Robert is an extended family member of mine. He grew up in a conservative, charismatic uh, uh, Christian household. He was very involved in his youth group. His worship team played an instrument. His parents were youth group leaders uh, in the church that he grew up in. It was, uh, as he would describe it, quite strict um, and actually called it a fundamentalist background, although I would challenge that title for, <laughs> that he would give. Um, but he, it, over the last couple of years, um, he has decided that he no longer is a, a Christian. He doesn't know what he is yet, he told me, um, but he doesn't think he's a Christian anymore. Um, the next person I want to introduce you to 
is a person I'll call Brian. I'm changing his name. This is someone that I encountered on the mission field. Um, he served as a missionary for a great number of, of years and, and taught at a, a Bible school in a foreign country and came back to the United States to pursue his studies. And through the course of him pursuing his studies, um, decided that he, what he claims, is a happy atheist and now is an anthropologist at a major university in the United States. And uh, finally, introduce you to Josh. And Josh is who we're going to be spending the bulk of our time uh, talking about and I'm going to be uh, responding to and addressing. Josh also grew up in a, what you would consider a typical Protestant evangelical home and uh, wrote a book and was quite famous, became a pastor himself, and uh, over the years decided that he was no longer also a Christian, not knowing what he is, but he just decided by all the terms and definitions, he no longer is a Christian. So I bring up these names to you specifically because it's easy to talk about numbers and feel distanced and unconnected from them. But we know that when we talk about people leaving the faith, when we talk about people that say that they're no longer a believer or a Christian or in a relationship with God, however they, however they would term it, these are actual people that chances are we know. In fact, after the first service, I had a number of people come up to me and talk about their son or daughter, about their relative, family member that would be sitting in one of these chairs. These are people that we know, that we love, that we care about. And so the goal of these next two weeks is to address the fact that people are questioning and leaving the Christian faith and also to consider how we as a church should and can respond to people who are going through these questions, who are really wrestling with doubts and, and wrestling uh, with their faith. Now, there is a word that you'll find in the Bible for people that have left the faith. The, the word is apostasy or apostates, and we see this uh, and specifically termed as falling away in the scriptures, and we see three references of this, Jesus listing it in one of his parables in Luke chapter 8. Uh, 1 Timothy 4 also references people who have fallen away or will fall away in the end times, and then uh, in Hebrew 3, it references people that have left the faith. Uh, and as a result of that, and if you go, if you look up some of these people, these high-profile people that have left the faith or denounced Christianity, you get all kinds of people responding to that and, you know, theologizing about that. I just made that word up. Theologizing about um, what does God think of, of all of this. And for the purposes of this series, we're not going to get into the weeds of theologizing. You know, were they always saved? Were they always a Christian? You see people giving their opinion. Well, they were never a Christian in the first place if they left it. And, and all, we're going to kind of gently set those questions aside. Those are great questions, great conversations, but not for the purposes of these next two weeks that we want to cover because we want to think about how we as a church can respond to these things, knowing that there are people that we encounter, people that we know, people that we see at work and school that have similar questions. Now, here's what I found very interesting about all the four people that I read about or talked to, and that is that they expressed a great deal of relief in making the decision to leave the faith. 
I found that very interesting because when I awakened to my faith, when I awakened to God in a relationship with Jesus Christ, I felt that freedom and that relief and that liberty. And here they were saying they were feeling relief and liberty and leaving. And I wanted to know more about that. I thought that was kind of interesting. And so I began with this question, specifically asking, what are these people leaving? I know that they're saying that they're leaving Christianity or they're leaving, you know, the constructs of faith that they grew up with, but I want to know more specifically, what are they leaving behind? What do they feel like they're rejecting or moving away from? So Josh Harris is the first high-profile person that we're going to address, and Pastor Steve next week is going to cover another high-profile person that maybe covered some different questions, and he's going to talk about that. Josh Harris became famous at age 21 when he wrote a book called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Now, full disclosure, this book was very famous about when I came uh, uh, to faith, and uh, it was very popular in the youth group that I was attending at the time. In fact, uh, now I was, uh, my faith, my, my awakening of faith that I called, you know, becoming to faith was very genuine. And it was specifically in the context of this youth group. But there was also this sort of side attachment thing is that I, th- I really liked the pastor's daughter at this church in the youth group. And so, you know, I thought maybe we could have a little relationship, you know, and I was getting to know her more, talking with her, and she began to sense that I was pursuing that. And so her response was, I'm sorry, I kissed dating goodbye. Now, first I thought that was just a weird thing to say, a weird response, but then she explained that she had been reading this book. So that might have been the reason why I, when I read the book, I didn't like it at all, because it was the very thing that was used to break up with me or to, to reject me. But as I was reading it, I understood some of the principles, but some of it also didn't make sense to me. This book really came at the, in the middle of what was called the True Love Waits movement or a purity movement where young people all across the country were standing up and saying, we are not going to have sexual intercourse until marriage. We're going to save ourselves until marriage. It was a sweeping movement across youth groups and, and people of faith all across the country. People standing up in, 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 in conferences were, were constructed specifically out of this movement. And so when this book came, It came right in the middle of that and was extremely, extremely popular. And so many people said that it was helpful for them. It created language and understanding for them and helped them in a really needed time in their struggles in in their faith. And over time, I hadn't really heard a whole lot about Josh Harris as as I grew older. Turns out he became a pastor. He served as a past senior pastor at a church outside of Washington, D.C. But recently, within the last year, his name began to surface. Because as much as his book was helpful and popular and important for a lot of people's lives, there were a lot of people starting to come out to say, you know what, it wasn't a helpful book for me. In fact, that book was used as a, a weapon against me. And that language, weapon against me, was specifically what someone had said to him. And on social media, in response to that person, he simply said, I'm sorry. Now, at that point, he would tell you that he had been questioning some of the principles that he had laid out in his book 
about dating, about the rules of dating, about how to date for the purposes of marriage in a way that puts God first. He'd been questioning some of those different things. But when he said he was sorry, the news headlines began to spread about how Josh Harris was apologizing for his book, apologizing for the things that he had said. And so he kind of went with it. All of this is documented very well in a documentary called I Survived, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. And it's really well done. He takes time to listen to the people who have said the book was helpful and takes time to listen to the people that said that the book was damaging. It's specifically in in ways that he did not intend. Here he was thinking about how he was to be serious about his faith and that this is a way to be serious about God and his relationship with God. But the principles that he laid out for dating, well, they really weren't in this book, the Bible, but people started to treat it like that. People started to make rules and constructs and expectations based off of some of the principles of his book that that weren't in this book. And I think that's what he felt sorry about. So over this past year, I imagine he did a lot of questioning. And at the time the documentary came out, he still was searching through the content of his book. But over a few months, we began to realize that there was more happening for Josh Harris. Um, About time of July, about July, he announced on Instagram that he and his wife uh, were, were separating. And he leaves a little bit of a cryptic message in his announcement. He says that uh, we're writing to share the news that we are separating and we'll continue to live our life together as friends. And then he just says, in recent years, some significant changes have taken place in, in both of us. And people began to wonder, what, what significant changes that would lead to this? Amongst the heartbreak, there was... Keep in mind, there are all kinds of fans and, and followers of this, of this man, not only people that he pastored, but readers of his book, people that respected him. They were heartbroken to hear of his divorce. And a little over a week later, we got a little bit more context to this, and a little over a week later, again on Instagram, because everyone makes announcements on social media these days, he announces that he's no longer a Christian. And specifically, he says, I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase for is falling away. By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Many people tell me that there is a different way to practice faith, and I want to remain open to this, but I'm not there now. So how do we make sense of all of this? Something that Josh Harris said in his announcement caught my eye because I've heard it before. It was that word deconstruction. Maybe you've heard this too. It's become sort of the common use term now for people that begin to question some of the things that they once just took uh, for granted. Things that were taught to them at an early age about faith, about believing in God. And they've come to a place where they decided they're going to go and deconstruct the house of faith that was built for them. And so they dig dig deep and dig deep and don't know how to make sense of their own faith, what to believe, how to believe it, because they would say that in previous years, what to believe and how to believe it was told and taught to them, and they simply accepted it. I think a uh, a, a lot of it in terms of bumper bowling, 
Have you ever been bumper bowling before? Bumper bowling is great for, for kids because, you know, bowling's really hard and the ball's really heavy for kids and so they, you know, they need the barriers to help guide the ball down to knock the pins down and uh, it's really helpful, right? Um, but it's, it's not meant to, to be there as you grow older. I mean, if you want to be a grown adult and use bumper bowling, go right ahead. You might get a few weird looks um, but it's meant for younger kids to help them stay in the right lane, stay on the straight and narrow, to, to go where they're, they're meant to go. But eventually people get to an age, and even people that stay firm in their faith, I believe this, that they still, everyone gets to this age, uh, a, lot, a lot of us call it the, the, the age of accountability, where we start to realize that, hey, we can make decisions of faith for ourselves, And every once in a while, we run into the, to a situation where there's, there's bumper bowling, um, but the bumpers just don't, they're not there for us. Can we see that next? Um, we just realized that, you know, here's, here's the bumpers, but, you know, all of a sudden we get a question or we get a circumstance in life or um, we, we find ourselves with, with feelings and thoughts about God and, and faith that are outside the boundaries of, of the bumper guard, guardrails. And we think there's, there's chaos. What do we do with this? How, how do we navigate these waters? It's completely turbulent. I don't know how to move forward in this. Or someone, maybe, maybe they found themselves in the gutter of life. Maybe they found themselves in the gutter where the faith that they learned was for all the people where life was going well and then their life wasn't going so well and they didn't understand faith in that context. They didn't have language for that. What if I'm in the gutter? How does that work? You see, as we grow out of the bumper lanes, as we mature in our faith, it's not like things become even more certain for us. The Bible has language for this. At the beginning when we learn the, the constructs and the, and the rules and the orders for our faith, we learn more certainty. But as we grow, the Bible teaches us there's more mystery. We think that when we begin with questions, as we grow in our faith, we're gonna have all those questions answered. But if you're like me, your questions have more questions. They give birth to more questions. And the older, more mature you get, sometimes you feel like you just have more and more questions. And sometimes we don't know how to handle that. When we begin in our faith, it feels like we're more in control and everything seems clearer to us. But as we grow in our faith, we're challenged and invited by God to have more faith and trust, even if we don't understand. And while we begin as maybe young children growing up in faith, I grew up in the church, and we understand the rules and the expectations and the order of religion, eventually we hear another voice that says, no, I want, God says, I want a relationship with you. That faith in me, this whole Christianity thing, is, is not about the rules of religion, it is, it's about relationship with me. And so we grow out of those bumper rails and sometimes we have a hard time figuring out life and faith and everything that goes along with it. Now, all of this really sounds 
familiar as I was hearing stories, having conversations, reading about some of these figures. All of this sounded really familiar to me. That, that the faith, the kind of faith that these individuals felt like they were leaving behind was very similar to what some of the early Christians had a hard time leaving behind as well. So I want to read to you a couple of verses out of the book of Galatians, and you can turn to the book of Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, if you want. I want to set it up for you and give you some of the background. Last week, uh, we were closing up our study on the book of Acts, and I, if you were there, um, you heard me talk about uh, Paul and some of the conflicts that the apostle Paul had with Peter, another leader of the church, and they had to hash out some of their disagreements. Uh, in Acts chapter 15, we read about a council, a big meeting that happened amongst the early church leaders as to how to be the church of Jesus because all the early church leaders, the beginning Christians, were Jewish. They just followed Jesus. And so the way they lived out faith, how they went to church, the, the rules and the expectations and the ordered life of, of faith and religion was already set for them. It was the Jewish faith. They just happened to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But now the Gentiles were on the board. Now the Gentiles, they didn't share that same expressions of faith. They didn't share that same worldview. And so they had to have a meeting to hash all of this out. And as I mentioned last week, Peter, uh, Paul wins Peter over to his argument and makes the declaration that Gentiles can experience the full freedom in the membership of the church without going through the rigmarole of becoming Jewish first or specifically being circumcised. But the after story of this event is that Peter didn't exactly live up to this new agreement. And so here we are in the book of Galatians. Galatia is actually a region and it covers a variety of different cities where there were different churches. One of the churches was in the city of Antioch, which was the southern end of Galatia. And um, Peter is there meeting with the Gentiles, eating with them, having full fellowship as brothers and sisters in Jesus. But then some of these Jewish leaders come from Jerusalem to join them. And all of a sudden, Peter changes his tune. He decides he's going to stick with the old Jewish law and not eat with the Gentiles anymore. And Paul catches wind of this and deliberately confronts Peter on his hypocrisy. And so this theme of the law versus the law of Christ is, is huge in the book of Galatians and really is a springboard for Paul to preach a sermon on what it really means to be free in Jesus Christ. And here's what he says in chapter five, verse one. It says, so Christ has truly, truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. You see, these other people that were following Paul around, they were claiming that Paul was preaching an incomplete gospel. That, yeah, Paul was right about Jesus, but he wasn't right. He was incomplete because you had to do all of these things in following the law as well. And Paul is refuting that argument, giving his defense in the book of Galatians, this letter to the believers in Galatia. And he's making the case that the law was the old covenant. 
And full freedom in Jesus Christ is the new covenant. And we no longer are bound to the law that the way we understand and express our faith faith is no longer about the rules and the order of religion, kind of like what these gentlemen claimed to have grown up with. But instead, we have a relationship with God, a relationship that leads to a full, flourishing life in him. No longer are bound and and living in relationship with the rules, but instead living in relationship with God. And that God is present in this relationship. And as God is present in this relationship, that's how we live out our faith. In fact, he says in Galatians 5.25, he says, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. You see, previously, how to live out our faith was mapped out for them. It was written out in the law, but now it is following the Spirit's leading. I see so much of that struggle and that tension in these gentlemen, these individuals that were struggling with how God might be doing something new because they grew up. Many of them grew up in a system, in an, a, 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 a structure of faith that was focused on the rules. It was focused on the ordered life of the congregation, on the expectations, on the bumper rails, not realizing that all of that served a purpose of giving them freedom, not just from, but freedom for a full relationship with, with God. So I, I circle back to this question. What are these people, these individuals, leaving? What do they feel like they're, they're leaving behind? Or what do they feel like they are uh, rejecting? Because if I were to sit down with someone like Josh Harrison the same way that I sat down with my cousin, and I might think through some of the expectations that they grew up with, some of the, the constructs of their faith, the things that were taught to them, I might look at their experience and say, you know what, I don't follow that either. I love the quote from uh, Pastor Tim Keller. Um, He says says this, tell me, we get that Tim Keller quote? (laughs) There it is, okay. Describe the God you've rejected. Describe the God you don't believe in. Maybe I don't believe in that God either. I resonate with that. And I would love to open a conversation with that line to so many people that are struggling in their faith. Uh, So I'd like to offer a few words of encouragement. One, or a few words of encouragement to to Josh and a few words of encouragement uh, to the church and something that we can really take to heart and move forward uh, as, as the church. Uh, the first thing I would probably say to someone like Josh Harris is to say, you know what, keep searching. I am not threatened by your seeking. In fact, Jesus encourages his followers to seek. Seek, ask, knock. Seek and you will find. Ask, knock, and the door will be open to you. 
We are searching people, and it's okay to keep searching. It's okay to ask questions, even tough questions, even the questions you don't think should be asked in church. Uh, The other thing I would encourage someone like Josh Harris is to invite him to explore the personhood of God. And what I mean by personhood is that God is an actual living being with design, intention, and activity. God is not a force in the air. God is not a part of the created universe. You know, we say the universe has brought us together. But God has design and intention and purpose and is actively doing something in the world. And that to explore that, like in verse 25, it said, since we're living by the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit of God, be guided by the Spirit of God. Allow yourself to be guided by the Spirit of God. That if God is there, allow yourself to be guided by God. So exploring the personhood of God. And the third thing that I would encourage for someone like Josh Harris, and this might seem a little bit strange, but it really comes out of my own story, which is allow yourself to be absorbed, allow yourself to absorb the testimony of the poor. (laughs) Another way to say this is the common phrase, you might have heard this before, is that there are no atheists in foxholes. (laughs) There's something about the witness and the testimony of the people that do not have. And I learned this when I served as a missionary in Haiti. I went to Haiti as a missionary to teach, to shepherd, and to guide, and to share what I had of Jesus, shine light. What I didn't anticipate is that I would be the one being taught, I would be the one being changed, I would be the one being blessed in my time there. What I understood is that people that truly understand their great need, people that understand their depravity, people that understand their dependency, understand something about the world, understand something about God that is so hard for us to grasp as privileged people. And so allow yourself to absorb the witness and the testimony of the poor. It's possible that they know something about life more uh, than, than we do as privileged people. And now I have some, some encouragements for the church. I would encourage the church to also remember in the personhood of God that God, God's spirit is here and active is working. We don't do the work for God. It is God's work that is done through us. That God knows what God is doing and God's ways are far greater than our ways. God has intention and design and purpose and is working out those plans. And that anytime there is an effort on our part to clarify through rules and constructs and religion. It really is just a way to guide us closer to God. So the second thing I would encourage us as the church is to understand why the rules are there in the first place. The rules are not there so that we can have a relationship with the rules. 
The rules exist precisely because God is there and he has invited us into a close relationship with him and that the rules are there to help us, guide us towards, towards him. Uh, and the third thing that I would encourage us as a church and the church is to make space for searchers. Uh, make space for question askers. Don't feel threatened. My cousin um, shared in his story that within a few weeks of them, him openly questioning his faith, him and his wife, they were kicked out of their church. And he said that that had a profound impact on him. Can we make space for searchers? This whole week has been a bit of a mess for me. Um, I think a lot of you might remember over a year ago when in a sermon like this, I said that, that I had been going through what I thought was a faith crisis. And I was so nervous talking about that. And even when I said it, I could see a lot of squirming in the pews. <laughs> um, but I was met by all of you with a lot of grace, a lot of encouragement, some hugs, some happy faces. And I can't tell you how important that was for me in a moment where I thought was a defining moment of searching. And here's what I want to say to you. I thought I was going through a faith crisis. What I've come to learn is that I was actually going through a faith transformation and that God was calling me into deeper places that I didn't understand. And you as the church, you made space for that. And I w I'm a pastor. <laughs> and I'm so grateful so grateful that you made space for me. Please know that there are other searchers, other question askers, other people that are wrestling with their faith in this place. What does it look like as the church to come alongside of them, to encourage them, to love them, not to feed all of the answers you think they should have, but to listen, to pray for them, to encourage them, to know that God is actually there too and you don't have to panic? What does it look like to be that church for them? I'm so grateful that you were that church for me and I, I pray that we can continue to be that church because whether they're here inside the walls of this building or they're outside the walls of this building and feel as though they're not welcome, how we respond matters. It may not solve everything, it may not ultimately lead them back to Jesus, but how we respond certainly, certainly matters. So um, I'm just ask, would you, would you stand with me as we close? And I would like to close in a prayer for whoever, whoever sits in this chair. And if you know someone specifically who's sitting in this chair right now, this is your time and space to, to truly lift them up in your prayers. If you don't know anyone, uh, I would encourage you to learn more about what people are asking and questioning, not to be afraid of that, and to consider how we as a church can respond to them. Let's pray together. God, my heart pours out for the people in this chair. 
And my heart pours out for the people in this chair, certainly not because I have all the answers, but because I stand here in recognition and gratitude that there could have been a fifth chair here and I could have been sitting in it. And yet you challenged me to keep fighting, to keep asking, to keep searching. And in that search, Lord, you revealed yourself. You showed up. And I'm so grateful. And so I lift up all those who are questioning, searching, don't know where they stand with you, what, how to make sense of belief and life. I pray for them. I lift them to you, Lord God. And I pray, God, that as you, as your spirit gives your gentle invitation to be and to commune with you, Lord, I, I pray um, that they would hear it, that they would hear your voice. And help us, God, as your church, because sometimes you have called us to be that voice, to be that, that voice of communication that, that, that relays your gentle invitation of love and compassion. Help us and forgive us, Lord, when we've, when we've been the reason why people have left the faith. Let there be grace there. And help us, Lord, to shine your light. Lord, there is, um, there is a growing number of people who are looking around uh, at all kinds of different influences and voices and options. Let, um, let us shine your light. Let us shine your light. Thank you, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So people of God, everywhere you go, each new step, I pray that you'd go, not with the certainty, but the assurance that the Spirit has already been where you're going. Trust in Him and go in His grace and His love. Amen. You're dismissed.